Welcome back to Women Making Moves, where we celebrate the moves that women are making. My name is Amy Pons. I'm a master certified life coach and a soul healer. I'm joined today with Stephanie Mockler. Stephanie helps talented professionals accelerate their leadership capabilities and realize their potential. She has coached emerging and seasoned leaders going through critical role transitions, onboarding into bigger positions, navigating development programs, and learning to operate in a progressive, ambiguous environment. She's built deep expertise helping technical experts, technologists, software engineers, quant researchers, developers, and investment professionals become stronger people leaders. Outside of her couching work, Stephanie is a passionate advocate for women and working parents. In addition to co-founding the Violet Group, she founded the Female Leaders Edge, where her mission is to help build inclusive, flexible, and family-friendly organizations. She's also a TEDx and South by Southwest invited speaker and frequent panelist who enjoys engaging with audiences both large and small. Her insights and research are featured in the Handbook of Strategic 360 Feedback, HR People and Strategy, Society for Women Engineers Magazine, Academic Publications, and on her personal blog. Stephanie lives with her high school sweetheart, their college-aged son, and two beloved puggles in Northwest Indiana. In her free time, she enjoys exploring the world, trying new restaurants, hiking the dunes, soaking up new information in just about every domain, and losing herself in a great Netflix show. (gasps) Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much, Amy. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for sharing my bio. It's it's pretty long, I know. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It makes me chuckle halfway through that I, you know, I didn't realize I had my glasses on. I was like struggling to read something. That was really fun. And a couple of things from your bio. Okay, so so the dunes, that makes me think of Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> have, you, have you seen that movie? I have. It's been many years, but I've definitely seen Napoleon Dynamite. Yes, I, I remember the chapstick line fondly. And Yeah, and the grandma goes to the dunes all the time. And I don't know if there's the same. Probably. It's, so it's the Indiana dunes. They're all around Lake Michigan. There's hiking. I don't know. I, now I need to find out, but I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> I've never heard that before. That's what I thought of. And then the other thing I thought of, and I don't know if it's on Netflix, but lessons in chemistry. So I read that book first mm-hmm. and absolutely fell in love with the main character. And I, that was one of those books that I did not want it to end. I wanted to just keep following along on her journey for as long as possible. And the book ended and the show was just as good, honestly. The show was both triggering and extremely amazing for me. There were just moments of high tides and low tides that I was thinking to myself, okay, this is part of history. I'm watching it. Okay. And it's also just like, okay, but this is also why Amy, you're doing the work that you're doing and that you're finding all these amazing women like Stephanie and kind of like regulating my nervous system in real time watching that show. I'm with you. I was watching it actually with my partner, Sam, and I kept stopping to tell him that these are real things that still happen. And a lot of women have experienced these sorts of things at work, even still, right? And uh, just stopping to talk about it and kind of process some of that because it is an experience we many of us have and part of why I do the work I do too. Right. And why we share passion here. Thank you for validating that you need a deposit as well. I did that with my husband and he was like, can we just watch the show? I'm like, not until you hear my thoughts on this. Yes. And I want you to pay attention to this because I don't want you to accidentally skirt over the importance of that moment. Even if it was just 20 seconds, please let's process together. Yes. Right. Because it's not an insult to say to my, my husband is a white cis man. And, and I mean, like, you've never had to think about these things. And that's not an insult. It's just a fact. And I just want to feel it with you. And, and he gave me that space. Of course, he just wants to get through like a whole show without having to pause it. And it's virtually impossible with me and our dogs. So 
Same boat. Yep. We have two dogs, a cat, yes. the sun. We're both, so, yeah. Lots of distractions that make it difficult to get through shows. And <laughs> such is life and it's beautiful. Yeah. So thank you for sharing the affinity with lessons of chemistry. The other key moment I loved really quickly was the moment where, and this is important to me as an intersectional feminist, was the moment where, oh, let me not give a lot away for those who haven't seen it, but it's when she wore pants for the first time. And it was the same day that Martin Luther King got arrested. And yes. that's such a perfect example of the way that white feminism has taken hold and how we need to think about it a little bit differently. So it was an incredible yeah. show. I'm going to probably read the book now. I'll go backwards. The book is really, really good. And there's a bit even more character development, some of more of the internal monologue that you hear from the different characters. So highly recommend. Yeah. Same. Okay. Stephanie. The Female Leaders Edge and The Violet Group, two of my favorite groups to have been starting to follow this year after my exit from the corporate of almost 20 years a year ago. And I think you and I started kind of uh, following each other maybe in April or May, but I love finding women like you. Like, I just feel like we're all on this plane trying to find each other and build our different types of unique communities within our unique brilliance. And then we're all surging forward arm in arm, you know, and I'm not trying to be Pollyanna about it, but that's what I really feel we're on the cusp of. So what moves other than your two amazing organizations this year are you excited to be making? What are you up to? It's yeah. a lot, I know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and it's, I completely agree with you. I feel like it's finding community that fills you up that you want to be a part of. And uh, that's actually a big move that I'm making that's going into next year. That's really exciting. We've actually rebranded the female leaders edge as the Violet Collective, which is our women's community that is going to start with being online, but also will be in person as well, starting next year. And our whole goal there is to create community for women like us who want a space where they can be vulnerable, talk about challenges and also how to overcome them, get equipped with the tools and the resources and the knowledge to just continue to elevate into leadership roles, shape future generations, of course, influence hopefully and change cultures and in and, and our society as well, because there's a lot of work to be done there. And that's a move that I've been wanting to make for a decade now. So it's been a long time coming and it'll be a big experiment, but I'm thrilled to be in the thick of it. I just want to note that Chicago is just over the border of Northwest Indiana. So whoop, I can pop over and come to this in-person event that you're planning. You're on the invite list. In fact, we're thinking about doing it in Chicago because we think more people will be able to join us. So TBD. Okay. I'll do, I'll do an airport run. Love it. <laughs> Amazing. So the Violet Collective is what and I think we talked about that a little bit last time. So that's exciting. And not just taking it, you know, taking it off the page, as it were, like from the the virtual space into person. And that's what I feel like 24 is going to be booming with those. I'm so pumped about like actually meeting uh, women in person and being like, hey, I just can't wait. So. I, I completely agree. I think that we're still coming out of some of the changes that we saw through the pandemic when everyone was at home or distancing from others, et cetera, and just starting to reconnect with the importance of in-person community. You can feel energy, I think, through a Zoom screen or through a phone call. You can hear it in someone's voice if you're picking up on those things. But there's nothing quite like sharing space and feeling energy in person. There just isn't, right? And, and we think about this and with the Violet Group, that is our 
corporate consulting arm. So we work with a lot of big organizations, coaching their leaders and creating learning experiences. And many of our clients ask us to be in person. But for those that don't, we usually will say, let's just at least have one in-person interaction because then it makes it easier to engage via Zoom or on the phone later on once you've had that connection. It's just, you can't replace it. I'm glad you're doing those types of experiences. There's so much around the, the, you know, the great debate of hybrid, remote, in-person, things like that. And what I think about a lot and a great conversation that I've been having a lot this week and recently is about the fact that we have four big generations in the workplace right now. And the fact is on one end, the boomers only know in-person and on the other end, Gen Z only knows remote because they're in their early 20s and a lot of the big milestones that we all did in person, they've only done over a Zoom. Like, can you imagine graduating from college or high school on Zoom? No, my son almost had to do it. Luckily, he was right over kind of the cusp of when people started gathering again in person, but he spent some of his later high school years in virtual school. And it was just really different, right? And schools had to adjust kind of overnight and try to figure out how to make it work. And I think now he, you know, is better off for it because he can do both, but it's not easy. I think it's, um, it's one of the things we talk about a lot with the leaders we support is it requires a different skill set to really effectively lead a hybrid workforce, especially one that's multi-generational as well. There's so much happening right now in our workforce that the leaders that are that have the privilege to be in those roles, and it is a privilege and a responsibility, have to think through how to be thoughtful about leading a hybrid team versus just a fully remote or a fully in-person. It's just different. Right. And and especially Gen Z coming up swinging in terms of what they'll tolerate. And so it's it's pretty amazing because I, I would love more of that. And I love what you mentioned about the work that you're doing with intergenerational because we have way more common ground than we realize. We could start in any different way. Like I'm just thinking about whether it be the pandemic and like, how'd that go for you, you know, in general, but there, I, I have so much empathy in space. And I know that you do as a coach as well, helping others feel seen and heard. And the reality is in person may not feel safe for Gen Z and remote not may not feel safe for boomers or X or whomever, even millennials, whomever. It's just sharing what that perspective is, understanding it, and then coming to some sort of a great compromise, which could be hybrid, can be not, you know, so it's, I can't imagine being on the front lines of that right now. Yeah, it's it's not easy. And I think the the difficult thing about it too is there's really not a a best way, right? There's not, and sometimes people look for that, right? Well, what's the best practice or what's the best structure? What's the right one? And and there there isn't one. It's it's figuring out based on your workforce, what it is you're trying to accomplish, the type of business that you are, so on and so forth. How should your business and team be structured for not just optimal performance, but also so that people can thrive and, and feel supported and, and integrate their lives however they want. And it's interesting because the research actually does not support that there are any generational differences. Mm. It's really about, to your point, recognizing when you have that conflict and you think that it's based on a generation that actually, if you zoom out, it's just a difference in preference or a difference in experience, but that there's actually more that we share that we can tap into than is different. Uh, But sometimes people get stuck on that, right? That, well, that generation doesn't understand me because X, Y, or Z, when in reality, it's a difference in preference and experience, just like 
different personalities, different needs for uh, work-life separation, different needs for anything, right? There's, there's so many buckets we could consider there. I would love to have just such a transparent conversation when there is conflict or butting heads. It's like, where's that coming from? There is, and let's understand it more rather than having a judgment. There's not a lot of safe space in my experience in the workplace to have those really honest conversations. So I love that you're in there. Sounds like you're creating those. You also mentioned best practice or thrive. What are the best practices after surviving a pandemic? What none of us on this earth know what that means. No. We also don't know what it meant to thrive through the pandemic or to survive through the pandemic, right? Everyone was just flying by the seat of their pants and trying to make the best of what they had and make the best decisions with the limited information that we had. I think one of the things that I thought was so interesting through the pandemic was a lot of leaders kind of came out swinging, right? Like, we know the right way here. We know what the best approach is. And no, you don't, because you've not been through this before. You might have some similar experiences to draw from that, you know, you might have some transferable skill or insight that you can apply here. You have some information, but we're all kind of in the same boat through this uncertainty. And no, no one really knows what the best path forward is. And I think if we can keep building that momentum, that one of the beautiful things about that was it caused people to learn to be more vulnerable leaders to be able to say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out or I'm not sure, but I'll keep you updated and I'll communicate as things change and progress, right? Those sorts of leadership behaviors that are so impactful. I think people started to become more comfortable with that during the pandemic, some who are open to it. And I certainly hope that continues and I'm coaching people in that direction, but you know, we'll see. Right. And I like to think of it as like, it was a record scratch moment for all of us. And it depends on, it meant something different for all of us. For me, it was Bye, corporate America. You know, for others, it was like, okay, let's pivot into something else. And to your point, what I saw is it allowed for vulnerability, not just toward others, but toward yourself. We had a lot of time to think about everything in our lives, sitting at home. And for the first three months, the novelty of it, I was like, I was ordering from Gold Belly all over the world, food everywhere. And just kind of, um, I don't know, it felt like a big slumber party because I was never leaving home. And I was like, oh, wait a second. Okay, let me, let me think more about this a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is where the beautiful world of coaching comes in because there's not one way or one answer or one body of people to, to go to. And a big part of my coaching is helping go in. What is your unique brilliance, you know, and let's bring that out and let's, let's, let's start talking about that. Uh, which brings me to a post that you recently made on LinkedIn a couple of days ago. And, um, we're both coaches and we are doing so many great things and that we need more coaches. So come on, those who are on the fence, talk to Stephanie and I, we'll talk to you about it. No, it has to be something that someone really wants and is, is really passionate about. You write, what does it take to become an executive coach? That is the big question that many practicing executive coaches receive. And in recent years, the number of different types of coaches executive coaches, leadership coaches, mindset coaches, health coaches, et cetera, has absolutely skyrocketed. The label coach is not regulated. And as a result, a lot of effort must go into differentiating yourself in your coaching practice for anyone, regardless of focus or niche. In this piece, the authors answer this question of what does it take and aptly note that the truth is it takes hard work in ways that might surprise you. 
Why? Because many people misunderstand what coaching is, underestimate the process to become a credentialed coach, and don't anticipate the ongoing effort required to generate and develop business to make a living doing this work. This is all true. Interested in becoming an executive coach yourself? Read on and contact somebody. I feel seen again. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? How much it really takes and not just in terms of learning and development and skill building, but also just creating space for people, as you mentioned earlier, is incredibly fulfilling and rewarding and also can be draining and exhausting, right? When you're really putting yourself in the position to listen deeply, to ask deep questions, to be thoughtful in your responses, to minimize all the distractions that are inevitably around all of us so that you can really be present for the people that you're supporting. It takes a lot. And I think sometimes people don't recognize that until they get into it. And I think just like I would say for therapists or clinical psychologists, which I almost became before I chose organizational psychology as a path, coaches a lot of times need their own coach or need their own supporter or need someone to help them on the other side because of the fact that there is so much that goes into it. And it's often one-on-one, right? So you don't get the benefit of having someone else there to listen, to give you feedback, to help you say, well, you know, Amy, maybe you could have asked this question instead. And that would have turned the conversation in a different direction you don't get that benefit. So you're just kind of in it, right? And hoping that what you're doing is is having impact. So there's a lot more I could say about that, but I think it's really important for people to to understand who are either are coaches or are interested in getting into that as a profession. Yeah, because, um, and I'd love to go even deeper if you'd like. So, I mean, it, by and large, I've been a coach since I started my career. In my leadership roles in corporate, I always had teams that were reporting to me, you mentioned this earlier, I was very much of that leader of that was my biggest responsibility was the people and how they were doing and and what do they need for support and how can I lift them up and things like that. Yeah. I've been a quote unquote coach for 20 years. The profession as a coach, uh, for those who don't realize is to your point, not not a licensed field, but it is the ethics and morals are governed by the International Coaching Federation, ICF. And, um, while I'm certified, and it's funny that you say that there's no one there kind of listening to your coaching session. <laughs> Mine there actually is because I'm up for ACC. And oh, so love I love it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah. See, so, so my calls are literally for those who don't know, getting it's ACC, PCC, MCC of the different levels of credentials for ICF. And um, ACC is the first level. And I'm up for that right now. And you send through calls to be uh, assessed and take an exam and things of that nature and coach for hundred hours. So anyway, a lot goes into it. And it's interesting because there's a lot out there too. People will come to me and say, I bought this course on how to be a coach for, you know, $20,000. I'm like, oh gosh, oh gosh. Uh, let's talk about that. Be mindful of what's out there right now, because there's a, actually while it's not licensed, there is a specific professional lane to go through if you want to become a professional coach. And it's not that 20K course. No. And that's part of the issue, right? Is because there is so much out there and it's, it's saturated. And there's a lot of people that are taking advantage of that opportunity to create the 20K course to help people become a coach. It is, it's why I think it's so important to reach out to someone who's actively practicing in that space and has the insight, right? And understands the world of ICF or the world of executive coaching or works at a big firm that has some sort of certification process, so on and so forth. But really taking the time to talk with someone who's been in it and done that can help cut through some of that 
noise and then make the best decisions. I have people reach out to me a lot, I think just because I'm so active on LinkedIn and other places and I'm trying to talk to people as much as I can. I just talked with someone this morning who was interested in, in making the the jump and making that move. And I would say, do that. Reach out to me, reach out to Amy, reach out to whomever, because if you're interested in coaching, you you want to start with really getting a clear sense of what does that path look like and go in eyes wide open to make some of those choices and to not waste your money on things that aren't going to help. Also awesome if they're a coach and you know, they're successful at it, but it, it's really hard to bottle it in a way that's like a copy paste. And for me, that's one big reason why I left corporate is I didn't want to copy paste anymore. I really wanted to amplify and celebrate someone's unique brilliance. So now when I say that there are a lot of different certification programs out out there, make sure they're accredited by ICF when you become certified and head toward your hours, et cetera. Again, a lot of detail. Stephanie, are you, um, which level are you at? Yeah, I'm not certified. I got my... PhD in, in organizational psychology. That was essentially my my training ground. And then yeah. I spent 10 years at a Chicago-based consulting firm learning other under really seasoned executive coaches who had been in the industry for many years. We uh, had clinical psychologist coaches who were ICF certified and then organizational psychologists as well that were all learning together. And, and building a coaching practice together. So even my experience is a bit different, right? Than yours would be or, or others, which just reinforces right. what you said that, you know, each journey is a bit different in terms of how you build that coaching practice. And for me, the body that I look to is really the American Psychological Association. That's where my PhD in organizational psychology, we have a division and a chapter in the APA more broadly. So their code of ethics, their code of conduct is really what I've always looked to as some of my guiding principles. And I love that. That's the really the core of whether you go with ICF or API is amazing. I would I would actually have a hunch when coaching becomes a licensed field, I have a hunch that it'll go in the APA route, like, you know, the way that you did. We'll see. Yeah, there is a, um, for anyone who would be interested, there's the, the division that I'm a part of. I'm a part of a couple different divisions, but there's also the Society of Consulting Psychology They've thought about rebranding to Society of Coaching and Consulting Psychology, which maybe that happens down the line, but that's where you can go to find a lot of really high quality seasoned coaches who are certified or have PhDs in this field. I've learned a ton from that organization as well through the years. Yeah. I've gone back and forth with, uh, you know, do I go after the professional? I, I love being certified, but you know, the ACC and the thing about it is, is one of the things that I've been noodling about is I would love to, at some point, go back into the corporate space on a freelance basis to coach ERGs, employee resource groups. I think that would be a lot of fun. And I think that, again, a lot of corporations would have that uh, that criteria of either being organizational psychologist or, you know, a professional ACC. So, yeah, that, I think in my experience with my clients, that's absolutely spot on that they Either a client is looking for the certification from the ICF or something similar, or a PhD in a, a field of psychology can often fit that that box as well. It's one or the other. One of the things that I that caught me about your post was why do we think so many people are emerging as wanting to be a coach? And I certainly have thoughts on my own, but why do you think, you know, instead of the line, you know, people will be like, well, there's there's bad actors and everybody's a coach and all of this kind of thing. Why do we think there's so many people wanting to, to do this? I actually would be of the mind that it's not, it's not about 
people being bad actors at all. But I think that there's a lot of people out there that are looking to have flexibility, to do something entrepreneurial, to, to give back and to really help and support others in whatever field it is, right? Health coaching, mindset coaching, et cetera. I think, and I'm optimistic by nature, but I think that people get into that because they have really positive intentions of both wanting to build a certain type of life for themselves, but then also to help others that are ultimately in their community or in their area of interest. And I think a lot of people are hitting the mark there as well, right? With all these different sorts of coaching practices and, and, and coaching engagement that are, that are out there. I think, uh, coaching is talked about a lot more in the, in the past, probably five to 10 years. Now, maybe that's just as a result of social media booming and people building businesses through Instagram and TikTok, et cetera. But you also can find a lot of people out there that are talking about their coaching practice and the type of coaching work that they do. So I think there's a lot of things at play. I've also seen, and I'd be curious if you see this too, Amy, a bit of a trend more recently where people are deciding to actually move away from coaching because they got into it and maybe it wasn't exactly what they thought it was, or they didn't realize that if you're going to be a solopreneur coach, you're also most likely an accountant, a social media marketer. You are doing all the communications, administrative work, scheduling, follow-up. It's not just the coaching that you get to do. So I'm curious if that's what you've seen, but I've seen some people have these aha moments like, oh, I don't know if this is really what I thought it was going to be. I absolutely have those. And let me clarify on the bad actor thing that I said, the people out there that are t- trying to take advantage of the term coaching oh, to, yes. to get to get some money, you know, and, and I want to think that everyone has the best intentions, but also this is such a heart-led field and really helping people to their own personal North Star that that's what I mean sometimes about bad actors, which is in every industry, by the way. Yeah. It's not, but it's just like when something's emerging like this um, and more and more people are interested in it, it kind of tends to happen. There are plenty of bad actors out there too, by the way, right? And I think that one of the things that could be helpful to, to maybe to write about at some point is what are the sorts of signs and signals you would look for that might indicate that a coach is a bad actor? Because one of the things that I think is really scary actually about this field not being regulated is coaches can do some damage. I've heard, um, were you ever part of Clubhouse? The, the social audio app? No. Oh, yes, I was. Yes, 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 yes. It really boomed in, in 2020 when people were you know, having that desire for connection. And I remember going into some conversations on that audio app where there were people calling themselves coaches that would bring people up to the quote unquote stage to have a coaching conversation. And they would just go at them. It was like tearing them apart, telling them they sucked what you're doing is not the right approach. Like nothing that you would do if you've been trained as a coach or you've you know studied under real coaches. And then it would be followed up with, and if you want more of this, $10,000 and you could spend you know three hours with me or something. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh. And how many people out there are like that? I'm sure a lot. And then if you don't know what a coach should be doing or what that experience should be like, you might think that's what it is. Like maybe the coach is supposed to break me down to build me up right now. I don't know, but it's it's scary. Wait, I can't imagine that being the norm. And it's interesting that you say that because maybe that's part of why there was such a boom. And now we're seeing, you know, some, some questioning around that. I do know exactly what you mean. Many of my, from the organization CLCI that I was certified through, there's like 5,000 alumni around the world. And so we all keep in touch, so to speak. And so many of them every day are like, I don't, I don't want to do marketing. I don't want to do 
any of this stuff. And I'm very fortunate that I come from 20 years marketing background. So that's kind of the easy part for me. Kind of. And I also had this beautiful awakening a year and a half ago where even on LinkedIn, you've seen some of my posts, like I bear my soul. And it's like, this is what I'm about. Yeah. And that's what's, that's, what's really worked for me. And there's still a lot of people who don't either feel safe or comfortable doing that. And my, my advice always from a marketing perspective is only post when you feel called only go on platforms that were you, that you really resonate with. If you feel forced that you have to do all of these things, you're going to drain yourself and it's going to show up in the voice that you put out there, the energy that you put out there. You're not doing anything wrong not doing anything wrong. It's just you're you're forcing something. And that's where the energy kind of gets imbalanced. So I actually offer coaching for other coaches that relates to the marketing and getting that stuff up and running for them because I know how hard it can be when like you just want to coach, you know, um, but then it's like running a business. Absolutely. Yeah. I used to actually do some personal branding work for coaches and consultants through the Society of Consulting Psychology that I mentioned earlier at some of their conferences because so many people didn't even know where to start, right? Psychologists that are building these coaching practices and they're not even sure where to start with regard to building a website, building their brand. What do they say? What can they say? Because the American Psychological Association has some pretty strict rules and guidelines that can seem black and white as well with regard to even gathering testimonials. You can't do that from your clients if you're a practicing clinical psychologist. You can do that as a coach, but for those that were transitioning, it was a tough mindset shift to make, to, to be able to decide, you know, how do you, how do you do that now in this new world? So I bet because that's, that's a lot of what people who want to work with me, they'll go to my site first and check out the testimonials and then be like, okay, and get a sense of my vibe. And then we'll meet and talk and things like that. So yeah, net, net to use a fun corporate term, net, net on this, on this post, talk to Stephanie, talk to me, anybody who is, um, is in the APA or organized organizational psychology or in the professional coaching space, just get as much information as you can before you jump in. Cause it is a lot to know. And it's also beautiful. So this next question could be in the vein of coaching, or it could be something else that you want to talk about, but as it relates to your work, whether it be coaching with individual clients, with companies, but also female leaders edge becoming the bio collective. What would you say to someone that really gets your work and is really passionate like me? Like I'm like, yes, more always. And then also someone who might not get it. And how would you share, does that conversation look similar? Or do you even entertain conversations of people who don't understand why as women, we need more support and more amplification for all the great things we're, we're doing and trying to, for me, creating the balance with the divine feminine and divine masculine as we go forward. Yeah, I think I'll address the latter part first around how do I address this with people who maybe aren't bought in or, you know, maybe are naysayers. And I would say always try to tackle it because I strongly believe that we should kind of lean into those moments when people don't necessarily see the value of our work or they don't understand what we're doing and use it as an opportunity to create some dialogue. Now, are people actually going to be convinced? I don't really care, right? It's not, I'm not trying to necessarily change their mind or change the outcome, but I do like to engage in that conversation. That's motivating to me. I'm competitive. I, you know, I want to kind of engage. I want to understand too, where is that coming from? In fact, I just had a conversation earlier this week with a possible client who knew that there was people in their organization who were like, this is BS. This is soft and fluffy. This is kumbaya. There's no real impact that can come from coaching and team building. And I was like, 
let me talk with them. Let me just have a conversation because there's actually, A, an incredible amount of research to support the impact that coaching can have and that leadership development can have. And then B, let me help you experience it, show up with open eyes, Mm -hmm. open mind, and then decide, especially for people who've never experienced it. That to me is kind of the hook, right? You can't really say that you don't believe in something if you've not even given it a try. And I used to tell my son this when he was trying to decide if he wanted to go to college or not. He wanted to maybe take a gap year. He He's very creative, so on and so forth. And he just wasn't sure if college was for him. And I just kept telling him, just try it, just experiment. Like, if you don't like it, fine, go a different path, but just try it because then you know that you at least, you know, gave it a chance and then you're making a really informed decision. So that's a long-winded way of answering that part of your question. Well, no, I I love it because you're right. They have an interest. If they genuinely had no interest and they didn't care and they, it was all of that, they wouldn't even like spend their own energy. Yeah. Arguing or combating about it. Like, I, I don't want to do that. And also the idea of coaching. And also I, I shared this about the divine feminine. It is not all of us sitting on the floor, holding hands, singing songs. If you want to think about it, it's like, it's like how to engage humanity, help them be seen and heard, how to move forward together. If you think yeah. that is like sing, sitting on the floor singing songs, we probably need to have a different conversation about what you want to do in life and like where your <laughs> where your fire and passion comes from, because I'm not sure it's humans, but we can talk about that. Let's yeah. find it. Yes, absolutely. Completely agree. And then I think in terms of supporters and 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 people who would be kind of bought in, I think one thing that I've been trying to talk about a lot lately is I think that people can, if they find a community that they want to learn within and engage within, that that's the place to completely open up and be vulnerable. So for example, in the Violet Collective, we have what we call hot seat coaching, where any member in the community can join the hot seat. They get live coaching from myself or my co-founder, Kelly, and other people can watch, share their questions, share their advice, learn from that experience. And when we first unveiled that, people were like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do that. I'm not, I'm not ready for it. I'm not interested. I don't want to be on the hot seat. So maybe we have a marketing challenge. I don't know, but yeah, Amy, you should come in and do it. Um, But um, what I, what I shared with them, because I know they are bought into coaching was, or just to this community, this learning community was, this is the place to, to challenge yourself and push out of your comfort zone because it's a safe space. It's low stakes. So if you put yourself in the hot seat here, and maybe you're stress sweating and your heart's beating out of your chest. That's normal, right? Totally normal. But then you'll get better at it and more effective. So then the moments that are higher stakes for you, you're going to be more equipped to deal with them because you just put yourself you know, in this uncomfortable position in a safe environment, a collaborative environment. So that's what I'm trying to really push for people who are bought into the work, but or maybe trying to figure out, you know, where do they fit, right? Is it one-on-one or are they willing to be in more of that hot seat environment? And how do I get into this community? I will send you, I will send you a link. It's it's not open yet to the world. It opens in January. So we've been beta testing for a couple of months. So these are our beta testers. We're ironing out all the kinks and building out our content. And then anyone can join. It's a membership community. We'll have monthly or annual memberships starting January, 2024. I love it. That's me, me as a solopreneur 
a woman, an intersectional feminist, a coach, all the things that that's what I, that's what I want in a collective is like a group that I feel safe in. And when I'm in that hot seat, I can show up unabashedly me. There's no judgment. It's actually, I want every single woman to be earning the generational wealth that they deserve. So let's do that. Let's make sure we all can do that together. So uh, that's pretty beautiful. I can't wait. Where do we find you? So you can find me all over social media. You can find me, my personal Instagram that's public is at Stephanie Mockler. It's S-T-E-F-A-N-I-E. I share a lot about just my life behind the scenes business, kind of what I'm up to there. And then the Violet Group and the Violet Collective are both on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook as well. So you can find us all over. And then... Um, Our website is thevioletgrp.com. We're actually currently going through a website revamp behind the scenes. So what you see there is more of a placeholder, but you can find places to contact us there as well. And you said Female Leaders Edge will be phasing out. Has it already? It has. Yeah. So we've rebranded it, but uh, we kept all the followers and everything from who was there before. I think at some point I did, I'm like, I'm seeing Stephanie in both places. And I didn't necessarily understand that you were the leader of both. So that's awesome. Amazing. Closing remarks as we wind down. Gosh, I would just say, Amy, thank you, first of all, for bringing me on on your show, Women Make Moves. And I love every other woman that you've brought on. It's been incredibly inspiring and, and energizing. And I hope that people will be interested in joining our community, whether it's in person or online, because... As we talked about at the beginning, having that space where you can go and find people that are like-minded, that want to learn and grow with you is priceless. So we'd love to hopefully see some people there. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much.